Hey, this is the Non-Fungible Podcast with your host, D-Klein. I've got a guest here today who goes by several names. One of them is Jordan Gray. One of them is Starpaws, uh, K9D. Welcome. You got me. Thank you for having me. So you were talking to me about uh, a whole bunch of things, your art. You were talking about this festival. Let's talk about this art and tech festival that's coming up. You wanted to share about that. Yeah, super excited for this. Um, It's something where it's an annual art and tech festival. We've been doing it for the last 10 years. Um, The organization is called Kodame, and you can pronounce that any which way you like. There's uh, a lot of questions about that. It's intentionally ambiguous. So you can call it Kodame if that jives with you or whatever else. Um, But yeah, whenever this thing happens, usually takes over my life for a couple of weeks and we are in the thick of it right now. It's coming up December 11th to 20th. We've got 10 days of workshops, live experiences, anytime experiences. Um, it's going to be a blast. And 10 days, of 10 workshops. days. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's insane, man. Yeah. Well, it'll be a marathon, but it's all good stuff. So I'm excited for it. Um, we've been doing dry runs for the workshops and it's all amazing stuff. I'm learning every day I'm learning so much. So, so much is that fun. a big adjustment this year with all the rules with COVID and stuff? Like what, what's that like handling all of that? Yeah, it, it was a big shift. I mean, every year the organization looks at what we've done. We're like intentionally super nimble and just want to help people out in general, like help artists get access to technology, see that it's not evil, see that it's like an <laughs> interesting tool to be expressive with. And then we also help out technologists seeing the value of creativity and being expressive and all those things. So to that end, um, every year we kind of like look at the things that we've done programming wise and where we want to take things in the future. And this year we already knew we were going to do workshops. Like that's one of the things that was really resonating with us. We were seeing eyes light up so much and things like that. So we knew that we were going to do workshops and then COVID hit. (laughs) And we were like, okay, well, normally we're doing these like for four hours in real life and everybody's like able to focus for that period of time. Um, Online is a little different. We cut the time in half and I think that two hours is about a people's attention span and reality is like two seconds, but to get people to sit down for two hours is a pretty good goal already. Um, Which means that the workshops are a bit more focused, but they still hit all the points that we really care about, which is like connecting with people, um, actually creating things together and then like having some chance to celebrate what gets made. So every workshop we make some stuff and we share what we made and, um, that's really the point of it is to make them like really hands-on and to come out with tangible outcomes so that people aren't usually it's that first step with these new technologies where it's like AI art, where do I even start with this? There's a million resources, but once you've like made something, you're like, Oh, well now I can start experimenting with this or that, or I have some ideas and I'm a little more comfortable. So a lot of times yeah, yeah, yeah. beginners to get that first step out of the way. And that's the big enabler. So give me a sampling of a workshop. Cause that sounds pretty wild. You're getting, artists in who are doing this or who what kind of people are you having doing leading these workshops yeah it's it's all artist led so um it's just folks from the community i mean we met pretty much through the crypto art community and um some folks from there like uh mark savage is going to be um doing a workshop on mashing up 3d models in blender um he also goes by bit savage and he runs the adore project so uh, that's really cool to have him involved and We're going to be doing a lot of shader workshops. Shader workshops are super popular. Um, Shaders are really fun because it's hard to mess them up. No matter what numbers you put in there and change, like it just starts doing wild, cool stuff. And it's a lot of fun to experiment with. Um, And there's different ways of doing shaders too. There's just so many things you can do with them. But once you learn shaders, you can like stylize selfies. You can do audio visualizations. You can like make 3D models for VR, a bunch of different stuff like that um what are you, are you leading any workshops <laughs> uh i'm trying not to my, oh. my goal is to not lead any workshops um my workshop is helping the workshop instructors give awesome workshops that's okay. that's the meta of this You're a facilitator yeah yeah um i definitely have given workshops in the past i love educating um because whenever you teach you learn mm-hmm. by far Absolutely. um that's the best way to learn and i give um 
I give lessons on Qigong. So that's one of the explain, things that I do with Qigong, my Qigong, I'm, I'm ignorant of this. What it, explain this to me. Um, it's kind of like yoga, but it's from China versus India. And you oh. don't need a mat or any special clothes for it. You can do it plain clothes. So it's just a So I don't have to spend $150 on pants from Lululemon or something? Exactly. Yeah. You just wow. wear whatever's comfortable and you get in your body and you're like, this is now and do some moving meditation. I like it a lot better than sitting meditation because I always have a lot going in my head and um, diagnose ADD. So it's nice to have, in, when you're doing movement, it's nice to have a few things, like a few of the pistons in your brain. People can only keep track of about seven things at a time. When you're mm -hmm. doing movement, it takes up a few of those pistons. So there's less to quiet down in your head. So moving meditation has been a real blessing to me, unlocking that. Um, so I am giving a moving meditation workshop during during the time, but I think- I'm Oh, okay. So you are leading a workshop. Yeah. I forgot about <laughs> that one. Just one. Though. Just one. So like how many workshops? I mean, 10 days, you said. How many workshops are going on then? We've got almost two workshops every day. Wow. Yeah. So um, it's a really, it's a, there's something for everybody there. Um, if you check out the site, kodame.com, uh, it's- um, C O D A M E dot com that has like all the programming on it. And yeah, there's, there's just something for everybody. We kind of even have like, we've got elit games, we've got, um, poetic programming. So getting into some of like the more literature side of things, um, Wild. building an art gallery in Minecraft, some machine learning art, um, sketching for 360, like just using pen and paper to draw 360 worlds. So it's oh. kind of like a good a good sampling of just different things you can do with art and technology. So give that, me a bit of the history of this Paras digital art cards. Like talk, mm, talk to me about the history of that. That is something that I'm actually new to myself. There's somebody who had reached out to us. Um, we always have calls for sponsors, partners, artists, projects when we do our festivals. And they reached out and they were like, hey, we're launching this platform. Um, if you want to have anything on it or a partner on the festival in any way, it'd be cool to do it. So um, I took a look at it. I hadn't played with the near um, blockchain at all and it's on near. So it's kind of like an opportunity to check that out a bit. And I like the interface. The interface is just like physical. It feels like cards. It's got the, um, like that card skeuomorphism going on. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, what we're going to be doing with them is taking a look at like our past every year when we do our festival, we get graphics and stuff done. So um, Vicente is our like OG creative director, and he's done a bunch of designs of characters and stuff around the festival in the past. So we're taking some of those and then putting them on cards and then all the cards have lore that go along with them. So we're getting um, Max Zoll, who is a flash fiction sci-fi writer. Uh, local in San Francisco to kind of like spin the Kodame lore around these characters. Oh, into that's cool. Like, yeah, over the last 10 years, what is this kind of thing? Right on. So it'll be like a collectible set sort of idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm super excited about putting that together. They're, they're both like super awesome creative guys. So, um, yep. yeah. You know, every day that I talk with people about this stuff, there's some new application that I had no idea about. It's it's impossible to catch up on it all. Like I, I, uh, I'm an advocate for taking digital detox breaks and everything because <laughs> it's so easy to get caught up in it and feel like overwhelmed and have the FOMO and just like the anxiety of trying to process it all. But um, it's exciting too, because yeah, the possibilities, everybody's yeah. just figuring this stuff out. And there's well, so and you're in the hotbed there, hotbed there in San Francisco, right? Like, yeah. that's where the activity is at. Like, you must just constantly have that kind of vibe of innovation around you. Yeah, it's it's something that I take for granted because I've been here for a while now, um, and it's easy to forget that it's not that way everywhere. But what I have found is that in the crypto scene, and also like the art and tech scene, but especially in the crypto scene you get people from all over the place. So you get kind of this like digital commons where that innovation is constant. And especially with COVID and pandemic and uh, all the shutdown and stuff, um, that digital commons is a big, 
big lifesaver and staying engaged and um, having those personal connections and things like that. Absolutely. I know for myself, I've found that it's a way for me to still feel connected with people via the, the whole digital world that exists. I was looking at some of your art. <laughs> now, thanks. thanks for taking a look. I was digging around and I saw it on Pinterest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I mean, you've got to have some stuff up on Rarible. I saw there was a collab you did on Rarible. Yeah. What's, what's the name you're going by on Rarible? Um, I'm pretty much K9D and Starpaws everywhere. So if you search for those two, you'll probably get me. Right. Um, I, because I love I to experiment, I'm on a ton of <laughs> platforms. On Rarible, I tend to mint my meme stuff, like anything that's real, like jokey and trash arty and um, that kind of stuff usually winds up on Rarible. Mm-hmm. And then um, on Super Rare, I've got a series of AI Anzi Dakimakuras. So that's what I've been releasing there. And I saw these really beautiful video synthesis pieces that you had. Yeah, I'm getting those out on Known Origin. And that's video synthesis is another one of those rabbit holes where (laughs) you start learning about it and you're like, whoa, everything is different now. Time is manipulatable. (laughs) So it's taking analog video and you're using, it's called an LXZ modular system. Explain this to me. What is this? Yeah, so... um, Video synthesis, just like audio synthesis, is starting out from like the scratch, just building blocks of oscillators and filters to be able to combine things. And modular environments just mean that like you can take any output, put it into any input, and you can rebuild your system to do things that are very specific to you. The easiest example is like, okay, usually you'd have a video mixer where you can go between two sources and fade between them. So you can build an LZX video synthesizer that just does that. It just fades between two things. And okay. you can make it like do that to a beat. Or you can like build in a whole bunch of other stuff and make it like do luminosity keying. And um, it's like programming, but physically. You're using physical blocks of logic and programming that way versus like writing out lines of code. So something like your piece, Transit Grace, mm-hmm. that's like a modulation of something then? Like explain to me the yeah. process there, what's happening. So that's all synthesis. And what what's going on is um, with old TVs and stuff, there's not an idea of pixels because everything is analog. So it's infinitely granular. So just like analog photography, you just get like the finest details out of it. Um, and another interesting thing about video synthesis is the idea of time because normally you need time code in your video to make sure that the video is not just like scrolling up and down all the time. But you can use that as a video art technique and just let it be free and then like get different things scrolling up and down at different frame rates. And that's what's going on in transit grace is there's something scrolling up, some things that look like they're scrolling down because of the refresh rate. And then it makes this wobble when the two things scroll past each other at a certain rate. And right it looks on. like wet and round, even though it's like happening super, super, super fast. <laughs> It's cool. It reminds me of like something like cellular reproduction or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And so what got you into that? Like what got you into doing the video synthesis? I mean, I, I can't imagine that just being something you just stumbled across. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of is and isn't. Um, I've been making music for years and ever since I was like, you know, in, in high school, I was thinking, oh, my God, someday it would be so cool to own a modular synthesizer. Like, it was one of those goals in life where if I get one of those, I made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, like, after college and a few jobs and things, I was like, you know what? I can take this leap and get into it. And I had already been doing a lot of synthesis, so audio synthesis stuff. I And my music is all on, like, Game Boys and iPads and stuff, so I kind of, like, got away from the physical into these portable battery operated devices for my music stuff. But I was like, for doing visuals, I was looking for new stuff to go along with that. Cause I like doing like AV sets where there's audio and visuals that are all synchronized for my performances. And that's where the, the video stuff came in. Like I had played around with things like modulate and um, Resolume and uh, you know, other, other video systems and wanted something that was more tangible. So I wound up with video synthesis and um, seemed like a, 
I love things that I can sink my teeth into and just get lost. And video synthesis mm -hmm. is definitely one of those things. So as soon as I wet my appetite with like a few modules and when I first looked at it, I was like, what is going on here? No idea. Read a few things. And then I was like, okay, there's enough here where I'm going to be busy for a while. And that's the same mm -hmm. thing that happened with the NFT art too. It's just like, wow. Worlds, worlds, it's this worlds. huge world, right? Yeah. Or multiple worlds. Yeah. Yeah, I get that same notion of losing myself in time. You know, I was just complaining on Twitter that I think I've developed a new problem called iPad elbow. <laughs> where I was no. yesterday I was drawing for I don't know, ten hours or something ridiculous. And after like three hours, I moved my left arm. I was like, holy crap, my arm is sore because I'd just been holding it that one way for hours without oh, noticing. Um, I guess that's one of the dangers of the trade, I guess, you know, um, you find yourself getting lost in time when you're working on this stuff. Absolutely. That's, that's the joyous moments when you can like let go and not worry about time and give yourself space to create. That's the good stuff. Cause you lose that as an adult. There's, mm. you understand the value of time and all of a sudden you feel obligated to make the most use you can out of every second. And that just is a buzzkill. So <laughs> I, I love taking like a block of time and being like, I'm, I'm checked out and I'm checked into like whatever I'm into at the time. And that's how I do my um, moving meditation classes. I ask people to like, just take whatever they brought with them and set it aside and enjoy the time we have together kind of thing. And it's the same thing when I get lost in my iPad making beats or whatever else. Um, just a joy to be able to go there. Making beats. Talk to me about the audio stuff. What are you doing with that? Um, yeah, so it's, it's very much in line with that thought of making time for creativity. I do a project called Weekly Beats, where every other year, a group of us just make 52 beats in a year. Each week, new beat. <laughs> so um, this year, I have kind of been dial like phoning them in because um, there's just so much going on and a lot to process. But it still gives me those couple hours a week to just focus on it and make music and be free with it. So I use mostly this app on iPad called Core Gadget. And I've been doing that for the past few uh, years with Weekly Beats. So I'm just like, when I open it up, I'm familiar with it. It feels like a toy. Everything is skeuomorphic and all the synthesizers look like synthesizers and the knobs are there and all that stuff. Um, and it's an all-in-one system. So I don't have to worry about like, wiring things up mm. it's funny that i hate that but i hate wiring things up even though i do the modular video synthesis and there's wires yeah, yeah. everywhere and there's wires all over my house as i'm like putting art shows together and things but <laughs> wearing things up is not the fun part to me um i like that when i can open that app i don't have to think about midi routing even in, in between applications or what's recording and all that stuff it's just it's all there open it up go to town and i can kick a good kick out a beat in like you know hour or two something like that yeah yeah that's awesome do you ever uh work on pieces that kind of meld those different elements yeah you know, video audio yeah i I'm, on my vimeo i've got some av recordings that i've done with like the modular stuff and my weekly uh -huh. beats and then on sketchfab i have some photogrammetry that i've done and put beats to and i'm still looking for an nft platform where i can do 3D models with audio on them as like an mm. audio NFT. I made these things like three years ago or something. I was just looking at them and the best place I found to show them still is Sketchfab, but you can't really sell them there mm. except as assets. I mean, I love so OpenSeed or Rarible. They don't support that? Uh, not that I've seen. Not the 3D with audio. Yeah, I don't know. It's a relatively new thing. Yeah. Like, audio was added to the uh gltf um like 1999 so that was like almost two years ago now but still like a lot of the players don't support yeah it. Like, i mean what kind of file does it end up being uh i think it's a, it's either just a straight up glb or a gltf yeah i don't think i've seen support for those <laughs> on OpenSea or rarible but i'm not sure they've added support for a number of different files recently yeah it's so. got to be a matter of time like yeah yeah hopefully sure. somebody hears this and they're like oh geez you don't know about blank yeah 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 you, yeah. you know you know it's supported on such and such hello thank you yeah thank you, whoever you are yeah that's awesome so 
what kind of gets you uh, going these days? What are you mostly uh, creating nowadays? Um, well, the, the festival is certainly like one of those things that I just love doing, even though. Um, what got you into that? What got you into this festival? I guess it was like, so I was doing a lot of organizing like music shows. I ran music labels. So I was doing like music shows. And then my buddy, um, Bruno Fonzi, my co-founder in Kodame, he was like, hey, there's this conference happening at this FITC in San Francisco. And we had a bunch of mutual friends that were coming into town that were talking about their work stuff, but not their cool, like flash fun projects that they're doing on the side to sell like flash development scene back in the day. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's just throw an event, a showcase, like whatever you want to call it to show all this stuff off, do a bunch of projections, have music that's made with computers, all this kind of stuff. Um, we had a friend that had a rooftop in San Francisco that was like, yeah, let's do it at my place. Um, mm -hmm. It was a foggy night. It was a lot of fun. And at the end of the night, people were like, yeah, so see you at the next one. And we're like, what? Next one? <laughs> next one? Now we're and on that kind of happens each year. Where we're like, I'm never doing this again. It's so much work. Oh, my God. And then we're like, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Give us a picture. What is, what, what's involved in getting this all set up? Um, it's a lot of logistics. It's stuff that's no fun. Um, professionally, I do like <laughs> technology management, project management, uh, product management, that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of spreadsheets, keep keeping keeping all the things on track and in Yuck. line. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really thankless work, but it's kind of like it's required to build platforms to support people and to like make things happen. Somebody's got to turn the crank, and um, you know I'm good at it. I'm a pro. Just make it happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of these episodes I've been talking lately on NFP, we've been talking uh, a lot of issues around uh, copyright controversies. Ooh, and, I love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've spoken to a number of figures that are well known in the scene in terms of being vocal about it. Uh, mm -hmm. I spoke first episode was with Second Realm. Mm -hmm. Then I spoke with Colin, a collector who goes by the name Rec.eth. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Spoke with uh, Bitjamin just today, actually. Oh, cool. And uh, a lot of them, it's interesting when it comes to the whole copyright issue, it comes, the most recent story being this whole BitBoy thing. Uh -huh. And of course, you can go way back to older things like the trash movement and so and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on all of that controversy? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the freedom side of the fence, easily sitting there. Um, I'm really big into the creative commons. I love remix art and think that really all art is remix when you think about things in terms of te of memes and just like global consciousness anything you make is irrelevant without reference and context so it's all remix art it's all bringing hints and elements of culture together into something new otherwise it's literally nothing <laughs> like it so when when I see people doing remix art, even of pieces where they don't have permission or that weren't part of the creative commons, um, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I know that legally there's like, there's years of history. You can go back and like, look into, okay, is this right or wrong from a legal perspective? But I don't think that that's even the right question to be asking. Um, I see with this issue and a lot of other issues where people are talking about the value of art, where they'll look at something and they'll be like, either that's not art or I don't like that, or that's not worth anything. Um, or that's simple. That's, that's easy. And I think that whenever I at least catch myself saying something like that, I have to take pause and think like, what don't I understand about this? Why does this look easy to me? What, what, why do I not see the value in this where other people do? And I think that if people could calm down and um, maybe like consider why they don't see the value in something, they might get more out of the piece rather than just trying to like dismiss it. And maybe there would be less of that knee jerk reaction of disliking it or hating it or being agitated by it. And um, if you really grok something like, 
the emotion you'll get out of is maybe like smugness if anything like if even if you don't like it you'll be like yeah i understand that cool whatever <laughs> but you're not gonna be like oh man that's the worst thing i hate it <laughs> like just take take a minute to calm down and think about why that is <laughs> No, but you're right. There is a certain enjoyment in getting something that other people don't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In a and, sense. and I think that, like, especially in crypto art, where, you know, cryptography is one of the seeds of, like, common culture amongst the people creating it. It's like, secrets are fun. Like, yeah, yeah. little, little, little puzzles giant are inside jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's there's definitely that, like, playful element of it. Um, we went... Kodome went to DEF CON one year too, and we did um, some puzzles and Easter egg hunts and things like that. It's always always fun to stick those things into my work. Yeah. Tell me about, um, of all these art and tech festivals in your experience, you know, it's been 10 years now doing this. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. If you were to look back over those 10 years, <laughs> what would you say to somebody about like, this is what I really have gained from this experience. Oh, dang. (laughs) There's, there's so much. It's, it's, it's really overwhelming um, to try and zoom out and um, to try and like crystallize a seed out of it. But um, I think that The, the thing that I value the most out of all of the things that happen in these things is the relationships that come out of it. It's like, I love it when artwork sells. I love all that stuff. But when there's actual connections being made, that's the most exciting to me. And the people that I meet because of doing it are all like interesting and cool and people I want to stay in touch with. So I think it's the the people are my favorite part, probably. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably at the end of the day, the probably the, the biggest priority is to to stay connected with each other, right? Like yeah. I've found for myself that, you know, with all this COVID stuff going on, that <laughs> the art has enabled me to remain connected with people in, in ways that you can't physically right now, right? Now, Were you saying, I think I was reading that there are some elements of this that are still physical though in San Francisco. Is that correct? How is that working? Yeah, it's, it's a lot to navigate because every day, you know, the levels are changing and different rules are in place. So what we're doing is we're working with a a local spot. Um, It's called local maker Mart and it's run by some people who used to be in tech shop and are now doing this. And it's got the city's blessing. It's like an old bank that's been converted to a market for local makers to sell their wares. So it's very like local art focused and like crafty maker focused type thing. Um, And we were planning more of a physical show there and do have some work there because of that. But we're not going to be encouraging people to go out and look at it or do like an opening or closing or anything. Just logistically, we, we don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. So... Um, what we are doing is we're going to be running projections on the outside of the building. So it's on a, a corner in San Francisco in, um, it's called like the seven corners where literally there's seven corners, a bunch of streets coming together. So it's a well-trafficked corner. We're going to have projections on the outside of the building and we'll have those up for a couple hours each night um, from artists that are participating in the festival. So really excited to, to have something like help help light up the neighborhood and like add a little bit of cheer when you know it's it's otherwise it's bad news every day so yeah. a, little, a little bit of something and it's it's nice it's it's hard because like with the festival we're definitely not making money this year you can't really sell tickets the way we have in the past so we're totally expecting to take a, a loss on it but it's still worth doing um and like it's it's just something that needs to happen. We feel like since it needs to be there, we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So again, people can go to Kodame.com. You said mm-hmm. to look yep. into this. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I just want to get that right. And that's C-O-D-A-M-E.com. That's correct. Yeah. You want to drop some of your uh, speakers names maybe, or talk about some of the artists who are going oh, to be there. Yeah. So the, 
the list is is so long. Um, so one of the artists, and actually a volunteer that's been working with us, um, Quinn Keck, they are doing something that's a hybrid of online and physical. You can go to local Maker Mart and draw on an ornament and hang it up as part of inst installation, but you can also submit those designs online and they'll go and do the installation. So that's a really cool piece for anybody looking to have kind of like a hybrid online, but also in real life kind of installation. Experience. So you're submitting the art digitally and mm -hmm. then it's getting installed physically by another party. Yes. Yep. Okay. So they're like 3D models sort of idea or? It's just like a, a paper craft ornament. So oh. you like draw on it. So anybody can do it. Like kids can do it. Adults can do it. And then they'll like print them out and get them in the right folding to put them in the installation. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Right on. That's a really cool one. Um, from the crypto art space, um, Lynette Lee is doing a piece where you share secrets. And every time you submit a secret, you get shown a secret. And when you're shown a secret, you're given the option to mint it and make it yours. Hmm. So I think that that one's going to be a lot of fun. There's obviously like a lot of room for misbehavior there since it's secret <laughs> sharing, but we've got a code of conduct. The code of maker out tends to like be respectful of each other. Um, and the code part of, of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that one I'm excited for. I think that that one's really cool. Um, it's there's, there's so much going on that it's, it's, it's hard to, Sure, it almost feels unfair to pick favorites a favorites right? out, of, out, of, <laughs> out of everybody. Um, yeah, but it is kind of cool that you can go there, listen to an expert, try it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Come up with something, create something, mint something, even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm assuming there's people that are coming back repeatedly year after year to this thing. Definitely. Yeah. The community is, is super strong. Um, we've got a Discord that, like everybody that takes workshops winds up on the discord because the workshop instructors hang out there too. And you can ask questions and stay engaged afterwards um, with your peers and the instructors. So the discord is like full of that kind of activity, people sharing works in progress. Um, we do a monthly crit and then we also do a monthly like happy hour, just like shooting links around kind of thing. And which discord is this? What's it called? Um, just Kodame. <laughs> I think it's just called Kodame Art and Tech. Discord. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a link so that it can show up in the in the notes for the podcast or whatever. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's open. Anybody can join it. Uh, just mostly, mostly people join it after doing the workshop. So the community is definitely there, and we've got people that are like serial workshop, like have to learn kind of people, and it's cool to see them like picking up so many skills and yeah, friendly faces that you know are curious and ready to dive in on new stuff. So have you seen any artists kind of come up through the ranks where you first met them at one of these art and tech things and then eventually mm. they were kind of a figure in the scene or have you ever experienced that? Yeah, definitely. Um, good recent example is Beeple. Beeple showed with us like a couple years back. Um, it was a really fun year. That festival, we had like four stories of a warehouse and each story had a different theme. So that was a good one. Um, when he... He showed with us, I was like, I was already a fan because he's really into also like that sharing, teaching mentality, creative commons, like uh, giving away his source files for stuff. So um, he's from the Midwest too. I, I grew up in Minneapolis. So it was like, mm. yeah, Midwest dude. Nice. I'm in Alberta. That's a lot like Minneapolis. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. cool. Um, yeah. So, and then when, when he showed up in the NFT scene, like no surprise, people ate it up. Like it's, it's brilliant work. So that was really cool to see. Um, generally we focus on artists that are more like up and coming and getting started and amateur rather than established names because established names are already kind of like set and we don't have as much value to add for them. And we're really about like enabling people and like helping people shift through silos and, and see through walls and things like that. So we love working with like up and coming more so than like just going after the, the biggest names and sticking them on a flyer or something like that. <laughs> and what's your motivation with it? What keeps you going with this? Um, 
I must be addicted because I can't stop. <laughs> I think that like, um, mostly, mostly it is the, the relationships and the people going back to that. But then also just having my eyes opened up to things that I wouldn't even consider. Um, it's just a constant source of newness and interesting stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's the sum of it. And just I, dabbling I, in new stuff all the time. Yeah. And when I was running my music labels, it was really about that too. Like there were open source music labels for like tracker files and things like that. So it was always sharing the source code and really just about like building platforms so that people can be more successful and have more fun with the kind of stuff that I'm excited about. Cause that's definitely like a huge, huge, like, when out of it all is when you see people and their eyes light up and you can just tell that they're having that moment that you've had where it's like, Oh my God, anything is possible. Oh, let's dig in. Like, it's so cool seeing that happen. Um, yeah. Where they start to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So in your life, I mean, you live in a fairly tech focused part of the country. Mm-hmm the people around you do they do they get it do they understand or are they just like uh jordan's into this weird stuff that I don't <laughs> get at all or what's um, your experience with that i think that i've done i have in general found that people get excited about stuff like this it's easy to get excited about i was kind of surprised about it like especially when i was first doing like music promotion the first time we threw the event together i was like man, this is out there. I don't know if people are into like electronic art that much, but it turns out they are excited about it. And to me, that's great. Cause like I was raised by a, a photographer and an engineer mm. and always had that kind of mix in my life. So I've like always lived in this little bubble where the things are one, um, they can't mm. live without each other. Uh, so seeing that kind of excitement around it, is really encouraging and that's certainly some of some of what's kept us going like the fact that it does grow every year and new things happen like that's certainly i wouldn't say that's the primary reward but it helps me know that my energy is being put in a good place when when we get that kind of positive feedback and we get um when we see the growth so that stuff is mm-hmm. is good like usually at work when i'm sharing it with people they'll they might not be like totally into it but once they kind of get it, they're like, oh, yeah, that is cool. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. So you're kind of on the cutting edge of all this. Where do you see this stuff going in the next year? I mean, there's been so much innovation. Mm. What do you think is going to be the big uh, trendsetters? I was talking to, uh... oh, man, I've talked to so many people lately. But uh, one of the crypto artists I was speaking with recently, I think it was Cryptomatic. Mm. He was saying he sees the big trend being physical art entering Mm -hmm. the crypto art space and the two kind of melding so to speak Mm -hmm. you know what do you you see being kind of the next big trend i see the next big trend being um like more more of a normalization of it and it being less of a niche thing that seems to be to me where there's like a big opportunity um we're seeing that as we do workshops to help artists learn how to mint and things like that. I think that there's, we're at the cusp of this thing being more mainstream um, and for digital ownership to really resonate with people and have people understand. Um, My fiance is Chinese and she's like, yeah, in China, we just skipped credit cards. We've been doing digital commerce for forever. And, um, I think we're going to see that kind of like mindset permeate like widely. I think that like big, big picture wise, I think that what we're on is the cusp of like the choice revolution. We went through like the information age where information traveled freely between parties and nobody had to like walk around with big binders. Um, and now AI is making like choices kind of irrelevant and just a job that nobody has to do. Unless you want to make choices, you don't have to. Um, so I think that a lot of jobs where people are making choices and making decisions are going to go away. And what is going to be valuable is a lot of this, the skills that we see in the NFT scene with, um, 
curation and personal um like personal taste being valuable and i think that that's a a question that is being figured out in the nft art scene like the lines between a curator and an artist and a collector are blurring you see mm. it on platforms like async art um and in other places and just as people come into the scene you see them changing in their roles and kind of like becoming all of these things so i think that there's there's something juicy there to to dissect um and i think that it will be informative and wayfinding for a lot of the world, not just the art industry. Wow. So what do you think of the path forward in terms of you do have these kind of elite platforms that are essentially gatekeepers, mm -hmm. right? And then you have kind of your open-ended grassroots platforms that are kind of like anything goes. Yep. Um, where do you find a balance there in terms of, there being a curation, but also there being a freedom. Yeah, I think that it's great that there are people doing each of those things and the whole gradation in between. I think that for these platforms, there's a temptation to try and be everything for everybody. But as a product designer, all you have to do is listen to yourself, what is true for you and your audience. And what you find true for yourself, that's going to be your, your mission, your vision, and be the seat of the company. And then your audience that comes around it will be in line with that, but there will be more to discover along the way. Um, and that's where listening to the community comes in. But I would hate for all of the systems to be homogenous because they have found the solution, which is the mediocrity of pleasing everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like That would be so boring. So I'm, I'm glad that there's platforms that are more gated and there's certainly a place for that. There's collectors who don't want to think about navigating like a huge swath, messy swath of artists. And then there's other people who are crate diggers who they want to see all the ugly in the rough and they want to find what's theirs and what speaks to them in all of that. So I think that it's healthy for both of those options to be available. Yeah, I'm going to pick your brain because I'm new to this. <laughs> I, I started on Rarible in September. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm also on OpenSea, of course, because the two are together. But then I recently joined Known Origin as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding for myself, I'm using Known Origin as kind of like a more distinctive platform for a look or a style that I'm recognized by. Mm -hmm. Whereas Rarible, I kind of play with more. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, wh where do you dabble and where do you kind of have a brand, so to speak? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, oh, it's so hard to not have a brand these days. Artists are yeah. kind of like forced to have a yeah, brand. Yeah, totally. Um, and is that a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's a totally valid question. And I think that like the power of aliases is actually like really key to that because if you are known for doing one thing, whatever you do will be in that context. And if you do something outside of what you're doing that is known, they'll be like, what is this? But if you spin up another alias and release an experiment, then nobody really bats an eye at it. And even if they totally overlook it, at least you had the freedom to experiment a bit. So where I experiment tends to be aliases. And okay, um, interesting. Yeah, not, not always like publishing it or like pushing it along with my other presence. Um, See, I have everything under one name. Everything. Yeah, the maximalist view. Um, I, it's it's certainly the most efficient energy-wise, but to me, the, <laughs> the art is not about efficiency anyway. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> be spending my time on this if, if I was just trying to be efficient. So I um, need to make three, four other MetaMask accounts, is what you're telling me? <laughs> da, 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 yep. <laughs> I mean, I trying to be in that right? <laughs> no. um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to keep track of, and... I don't know. I do think that when you have a platform where anything is allowed, of course, you're going to feel more free there because when somebody looks at something of yours, approves it and says, yes, you can put this on my platform, you're going to be a little bit more hesitant to play with different things there. Like they sure said you can put whatever you want up here, but as an artist, you never know when you're putting up a new style, like, is this going to resonate with folks? Like this could be a total flop. And then it's on my like, 
you know, well-respected account and it's never sold and it's never going to, oh no. <laughs> but when you're just like doing one-off experiments and just playing with stuff where there's no rule makers, then I think that, you know, that that freedom is just kind of implied and it's not such a big deal if you wind up burning half your tokens that, <laughs> that you made or whatever. Yeah, I burn tokens frequently on Rarible, but, you know, uh, known origin, I usually am more committed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, this is something that I know is going to stay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It doesn't help that to mint stuff on known origin costs like five times more than it costs. I, I don't know yeah. why, but. Uh, contract. Contract yeah. needs an update. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, any hot takes on the uh, market conditions? I've always asked, I'm always asking my guests, where do they think things are going in the next little while? Now, today, earlier, I talked to Bitjamin. Mm-hmm. He says Bitcoin's going to 35K by the end of this year, he says. Huh. That was his well, prediction. That'd be fun, I guess, for anybody <laughs> holding Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. It should be like everybody listening. But um, yeah, whenever I hear uh, predictions like that, I am not a, a finance guy. Like, I don't have the background to be making any sort of predictions about prices. Um, My favorite thing is to not think about money, which is not going to be a popular opinion in the crypto art scene. It's probably healthier. Or crypto in general. But, like, I find it to be a huge source of anxiety. And I, my, the most fun I have in crypto art is when I don't have to worry about gas prices and I can just, like, mint stuff and play with it. Um, I was actually kind of introduced to the scene first of all, through Lisa Kolb, who joined Kodame as a curator. And that was the other goal for the years to do more art sales. She joined and was like, hey, we can do merchandise. Sure. But are you guys doing NFT stuff? And I was like, well, this is on my radar, but not really. No. So she roped us into this whole like crypto art scene. And then I kind of got started with um, Art Gallery Auction House, um, mm-hmm. Pan's, uh channel. And the fact that it was game tokens was super fun to me. Like, oh, I'm just minting game tokens and that's art. Perfect. Like very playful, very fun. Um, and then the Paras platform that um, I'm looking at with um, with the, the festival, that one has the same feel to it where it's like, it's not costing me an arm and a leg to mint these things. I can have some fun with it. I don't have to really stress about it. Um, so yeah, maybe Bitcoin will go to 35K. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I, th- I think a good question to ask is why would it? Because mm. like, how much how much is gold or any other asset worth, and what what makes Bitcoin unique that its price would be going there against against or with the market? Because I don't know finances at all, but that's a, a fairly. I think that that's a fair question. Is just like why, like. Has anything ever done that? Of course, it's doing new things that things have never done before. But like, realistically, with all of the money in the world taken into account, do you really think that's where people's focus is going to be? I don't yeah, know. it's a good question. I mean, I think if you look at it analytically, like if you look at things like the stock to flow ratio, or you look at it compared to say, well, compare a stock to flow to gold, you can make some pretty legitimate arguments for it being much higher mm-hmm. than it that's is right true. now. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so, but again, it's, it's so new and, you know, it's so illiquid, relatively speaking, compared to gold, for example, that yeah. it's, it's very easy for the price to go up or down. That yeah, prediction is sure kind of silly, but they're fun. Yeah. The volatility yeah. is, is a given. That's the one thing we can be sure of. So what's your blockchain that you prefer minting on then? Are you on Ethereum mostly or are you using other ones? Yeah, Ethereum mostly. I think that it, it makes sense because that's where um, the most action is as far as like um, the, the interesting platforms to try out and things like that. And I think that, you know, dApps give a whole new dimension to the artwork. And I think that that's really important. Um, I've been doing a little bit of minting on uh, Counterparty with Free Wallet, just it's fun going back to the roots and seeing like where this whole thing started. And it's cool doing that too, because when you get into that, there's like a bunch of old school heads that are still active and kind of like laughing at the ETH scene being like, yeah, we did that years ago <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so it's fun, fun getting into that a little bit. Um, and, you know, hopefully ETH2 will bring the gas prices down and it'll be much more reasonable to actually use the platform again. 
Um, I'm happy for everybody that's making money off of ETH um, and everything, but with the with the gas, it kind of gets in the way of creativity when you totally. can't just like mint mint your latest greatest idea. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's similar to the old beta VHS wars, mm. where it wasn't necessarily the best technology, but it was the most widely used. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Ethereum has as an advantage that's going to keep it ahead of some competitors, even though you could argue there are competitors that are faster, cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, it's hard to look at competitors without being like, uh, so where's the ETH bridge? Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's like, but I can't do this DAP with it, you know, because yeah. if you look at the DAPs, I mean, ETH is just blowing everything else out of the water, really. Yeah. So hopefully we can see that clearing up and you know the eth2 chain is in its beacon and everything so things are moving along there yeah that's that's pretty wild stuff it'll be interesting to see where that all is in a year yeah yeah well thank you so much jordan for uh spending this time with me and uh i really appreciate you taking the time to share about the uh art and tech festival that's at you can find out more information about that again at kodami.com correct yes that's exactly right and yeah thanks so much for having having me it was super fun to chat um any more info you want to drop about that here so that listeners know about it yeah so anyone listening if you use the code uppercase kodame dash friends it'll be 30 percent off your ticket whatever ticket you're picking up so 30 percent right. that's yep. awesome and is there a limit on like how many people can participate in a given workshop or whatever like how does that work yeah, we cap them generally at like 90. And for every additional 20 people, we always have an extra TA in the class so that um, it's manageable. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm sure that'll be an awesome event. And I wish you all the best with that. And have fun well, working on that for the next <laughs> two weeks of your life. Yeah, thank, thanks bonkers. so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Right on. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Jordan, and uh, take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye.